Do you love and hate the hospitality industry? Then you are in the right spot. Join your hosts, Kyle and Sarah, Sean Walsheth, and Jensen Cummings as they talk shop and give real insights into the latest restaurant news and most pressing issues facing hospitality professionals today. Welcome in to the Restaurant Idea Factory. Hey, welcome into Restaurant Idea Factory. That's Sean. That's Kyle. I'm Jensen. Today is Wednesday, May 10th. May 10th. May 10th. The dad. Hit him with the dad. <laughs> we are live. What are we? Good morning on the on the West Coast. We got good afternoon on the East Coast. Big show for you guys today. We're going to get into it. We got a lot of stuff we're trying to cover today on Riff 20. We're talking Vanderpump Rules restaurant drama. Darden that. buys Ruth's Chris an AI drive through you guys, we have gone into reality TV. Are we excited about this? It felt a little like dirty, like we're gonna talk about reality TV today, but that's what's that's what I just dude, I just found out about that show like two weeks ago. Leslie was like, Oh, it's all around the restaurant. I'm like, What? <laughs> I, I learned about the show a couple like a month ago. It's awful. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I'd heard the name of the show before, but I didn't realize it was like about a restaurant. And then some weird thing. Somebody shared a Young Gravy music video with me. <laughs> and apparently somebody that's in the show was in the music video. And they're like, hey, do you know this person? They like work at a restaurant. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? I no, don't I don't know. know that person. No, I don't know that artist. No, I don't know that restaurant or that show. So now Vanderpump is all up in our all up in our business. There's a lot of drama on that show, though. Now I know. Now I'm kind of like quasi-invested. I'm like, oh, I don't no. watch this. But then Leslie have it on. I'm like, oh, what just happened? What did he just say? Is that the guy who said this about that? So I'm like, God, okay, I'm getting too deep. <laughs> You're getting sucked into the drama. Well, apparently drama. we're going to get into the drama a little bit. We're also going to talk about a pizza-making robot in a gas station parking lot. Cava uh, Mediterranean Restaurant's going to get uh, some minutes. Hardee's closing locations. More fast food location closures. And a little bit of when it's time to say check, please. We got all that coming. We're going to get right into it because we got a lot this week. This was a, a big news week for sure. Uh, so we're going to talk uh, We're gonna talk market watch. We're going to get into some of the things happening across the market where we mentioned Ruth's Chris. We're also going to talk about Crumb's Bake Shop. So we got two uh, mini segments here to cover in markets, market watch. So let's get into it. Darden buys Ruth's Chris Steakhouse for about $715 million. This is by Michelle Chapman in AP News. Uh, for those who don't know, Darden Restaurant Group owns Red Lobster, Olive Garden, Capitol Grill, Longhorn Steakhouse, Seasons 52, and a handful of others. And uh, I just looked into the background. You guys know me. I'm always interested in the history. Chris Steakhouse started in New Orleans in 1927, purchased by Ruth Fertile in 1965, they have about 154 locations worldwide. I always wondered why it was Ruth's Chris. I thought it was supposed to be Ruth Chris's Steakhouse. Yeah. Turns out it was Chris Steakhouse bought by Ruth. Now it's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Now the mystery is solved. Now we know. The apostrophe's always thrown me off. It yeah. always it always messed me up. I thought it was Who Ruth Chris was the name. The possessive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ruth, I was like, is it plural? Is there more than one Ruth? I don't understand what the Somebody hell Somebody corrected on. me on TikTok. Billy. So it's so it's two first like names. Ruth's yeah. or their last name. And two different people's. Are they last names or two last Ruth names? Ruth is a first name. Ruth Fertile <laughs> bought it in 1965 and kind last of turned name, it last into name? what it is. First name, first name. Last name, yeah. first name. Yeah. The rest of I own <laughs> the family. <laughs> That's exactly right. So now the mystery is kind of solved. Sean's Kyle's. Yeah, I think right. we at least know that the apostrophe is because it belongs to Ruth. <laughs> Whatever that means. Kyle, get into this. There's This is some big numbers here. The $715 million. I know you talked about this this, this earlier this week. What's uh, what's the deal? Break it down for us a little bit. Yeah, I, I just – I was initially blown away by the number. I was like, that seems low. It doesn't seem very high for – $715 million seemed low? Yeah. And then I was like, read a little bit more, and then it said it was like a nine times multiple. And I was like, holy shit. I mean, that seems like a lot. I know that that's not what certainly restaurants that I know trade for. I mean, I know that you market. Five X, so you're like yeah. on a level. So I, it's interesting, though. A guy had written on TikTok. He's like, I'm a manager at Ruth's Chris, and they've been struggling or like riding this line of trying to cater to the lower end customer or the high end customer. So mm. I, 
I've heard Bruce Chris be described as like a starter steakhouse. You're like, oh, this is good. But then you go to like a real steakhouse, you're like, oh, this is what it's really supposed to be like. So, so it's like entry levels? That's a starter steakhouse? Yeah, yeah, entry level. So choice, yeah, not prime? <laughs> choice, total choice. I mean, I know that they're this- They're doing hanger steaks casserole. instead of fillets? Yeah. I mean, I remember yeah, we went there for stuff. dinner. Do you like have the A1 sauce or does it come on the table? Ketchup. I put ketchup on the table. No, no. Awful. A1 sauce. What's up with A1 sauce? <laughs> What's so I deal? just I just when you said a one I immediately tasted it I was like oh, <laughs> I haven't had that in a while grew <laughs> 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 up in my mouth a little bit um but yeah I don't know it's I guess there's a market for it but Darden now now it just to me now it just has a different tone to it right how long before we start to see the Dardenization of this brand I wondered about how it filled in their portfolio so there's two ways that I think about it when I see these kinds of acquisitions one is it is it regional. Are they just not in a lot of spots where they have a steakhouse brand where Ruth's Chris happens to have a good share of the market or does it fit in a tier within there? Cause they have Longhorn steakhouse. So to me, that's like an entry entry level. Mm. Then Ruth's Chris maybe is a step up from that. And then they have the Capitol <laughs> grill, which definitely is a high, high end yeah. steakhouse. So it could be that, or it could be regional combination of both. I don't know that I'm paying nine X. Yeah. Or something that kind of maybe gets lost in space a little bit. I also think that obviously they have more insight to the deal than us. Obviously. So there's something there. And I don't know if they own the real estate. You know, I don't know what their status is on their locations. If they own some of the properties, that that's obviously makes a different story. But um, I was definitely blown away by the fact that it was not as high as I thought it would be for a brand like that. But again, I don't have too much connection to the brand. But the multiple is for sure. I know anybody, any restaurateur I know would take nine times multiple on, on their restaurant brand today. So it seems like they're kind of in no man's land. If you're, if you're between 25 and $60 per person, you kind of have some built in inherent challenges now with real estate being a big one of those with the perceived market value of those products with inflation, with supply chain. So either you're able to pump out quality food at $25 or less, or you're experiential at $60 plus a lot of the restaurants that I see struggling are in that mid range, which I think is where Ruth Chris probably falls on the, upper tier of the 55 to 60 dollars per person so i wonder if that i don't know how that plays into it too though yeah you guys have been to roots chris i haven't been in a long oh, yeah. time yeah it's a quality decent steakhouse like exactly what you'd expect yeah so we'll see what happens with that all right next this one was a little bit of a blast from the past. I haven't heard this name in a long time. Crumbs Bake Shop, once valued at $66 million, bought back by founders for $300. This is by Lisa Finkenshire from the New York Post. So let me break this down. This is taking us back a little bit. Jason and Mia Bauer, who started Crumbs in 2003 with a single shop in Manhattan's Upper West Side at West 75th Street and Amsterdam Avenue, retook control for $300. <laughs> that is the fee that's required to purchase an abandoned brand from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The USPTO website said that Crumbs trademark was dead, abandoned, and unrevivable. Fuck, man. <laughs> Crumbs, along with rival cupcake purveyors, including Magnolia, Sprinkles, Cupcake Nouveau, and Georgetown Cupcake, grabbed outsized market share over the, the uh, last two decades. And it said the Bowers sold half their crumb steak in 2008 for $10 million. 2011 went public. And in 2014, Marcus Limonis, star of the CNBC reality show, The Profit, partnered with Fisher Enterprise to buy crumbs out of bakery f- bankruptcy for $6.5 million, but sold his stake in crumbs at a significant loss a year mm. later. Wow. Wow. That's booty. 2008, you sell for $10 million. Obviously, recession. 2011, still, though, you go public. I don't know if that's a desperation move, but you go public, and three years later, you're bankrupt. What the hell is going what the hell is going on? And then what, you know, what do they think they're doing now? I guess they said what crumb, crumbs cupcakes are now being sold on the web and distributed at supermarkets. Mm, Some 400 shop rights, um, Gestetti's, I don't even know what that is, West Side Markets and oh, yeah. Fairways Christine's. for about half their former price. So now they have to get into the, I mean, nobody can afford the bougie $20, $25 worth of cupcakes anymore. They need to be $6.99. Now there's, there's like a little bit of a boom for these like bougie little desserts, like one-off desserts, like cake boss and like crumbs and all that stuff. So maybe they see an opportunity here going DTC. 
I think it has to be. I don't think they can afford the footprint. Cake Boss had that vending machine. We've talked about that before. The footprints are too big. They they spent way too much money on making them look bougie, over the top, decadent, and clearly opened way too many, way too quickly. And now they're a a supermarket brand. Like that's a <laughs> that's a pretty fucking far fall from Grace. Oh yeah. On that. yeah, uh, there's one like 200 yards from here that was somebody just recently took over like a year ago. But yeah, I would I could I could see the brand coming back. I mean. Cupcakes, man, they got stand, they got staying power for sure. Cupcakes are timeless. But you cupcakes can't. Are but how do you find the market? You have to sell twenty dollars cupcakes to make the rents that, that at least they are around here. I mean, how you gotta have like what a two hundred square foot space to sell to sell cupcakes? This spot over here, I guarantee, is probably eighteen hundred, two thousand square feet. That's a shit ton of cupcakes you have to sell to make that rent. Were they producing them on site? Uh, good question. I don't know. I would yeah. imagine. I mean, that's the thing with any bakery operation is the production side of that, which takes up significant space. So if you're putting that into the Upper West Side, <laughs> what is that? Give us some con- Upper West Side today, let's say, oh. not even in 2011, today. What's that square foot? You know what? Come back to me on that. I'm going to get you a real comp. Look it up. He's going to get us. Sean, we're getting real numbers, real-time numbers on yeah. the Upper West Side coming at you. They Give can't afford those, it, I can tell you that. Those triple oh, net man. numbers. Sean, what do you know about cupcakes? <sighs> We're talking about crumbles, right? No, oh, not crumble I, cookie. That was crumbs uh bake shop. Crumbs. The, crumbs bake crumbles. shop. They were uh they were crumbs. cupcake specialists. They focus, man. Crumbs. I'm trying crumbles to blowing up. I mean, they have that kind of trajectory and growth right now. So yeah. original crumbs is their IG handle. That might yeah. be it. Yeah. Original crumbs. Original crumbs bake shop. That's probably available too. Yeah, I mean, for me, the most interesting thing about businesses now are their digital footprint and the things that are undervalued is what have they done for since the start of the internet? If they're a brick and the problem with brick and mortar is what we all know. And we're talking to the real estate expert over here. Um, the reason why Mr. Beast is so successful is because of his his digital footprint. Like then, then the power play comes with partnering with the grocery store, or the Walmart, or the Target. Right. Um, you know. So I'm curious now that this is the first time that I've been, but they only have twelve thousand followers, and it looks, you know, their content looks like agency work. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were bankrupt by 2014. Instagram mm, was uh, was really gaining momentum. Yeah, you would think if you've it's been seen on Forbes and Food Network and you have all of this that you would be mm-hmm. doing a stronger job. You know, so many of the the hot brands are podcasting. You know, they're creating YouTube channels. They're creating limited time offers, you know, salt and straw when an ice cream shop, like all mm. of those things they push through social and that allows them to have a bigger footprint and to be an e-commerce company. If companies aren't doing that, I think they're 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 at a big loss. Yeah. Uh, well, so here's the deal. So the thing is in Manhattan and with any other really retail environment, you're going to pay more per square foot for a smaller space. So right. if they're going to go where they're getting dropped off, they're getting 600 square feet, you could pay $300 a square foot on the Upper West Side. But 1,000 to 2,000 square feet, you're probably looking anywhere like $100, $150 a square foot. Yeah. It's fucking a lot of cupcakes. Those man. economics, that math, is, that math is really hard to rationalize. Dude. Really hard to rationalize. All right, we'll watch out. With 300 bucks, might as well buy it back. Maybe there's something there. If you're in 400 stores now, you got it back for 300. You got a payout of 8 million plus whatever. I guess, Bowers, we'll see what you do with it. All right, let's get into reading reviews presented by Marquee. Marquee is a one-stop digital operations platform for no-touch digital menus and listing updates. Last time we got asked to spot the bot by Avi. So let's see. I think we got a, a little bit of uh, an answer about which of those reviews from last week was the bot. Check out uh, Riff19 if you haven't heard the whole thing. We shared two different reviews from a client of ours, Brad's Bakery, and had you guess which one was uh, written by a bot and which one was not. Uh, Jensen and Sean, you were wrong. Uh, Brian Park Callout was written by a person, real life human being. Tria, hearing that you were blown away by our satisfying chocolate and cinnamon babka puts smiles on our faces. Our croissants are the perfect complement to any meal, and it's awesome that you enjoyed the lemon babka as well. Thanks for leaving us a great review. Come back soon for some challah and coffee. This was the bot. 
Um, the one that called out its location near Bryan Park was the one actually written by a human. Uh, we met the Kava, the people from Kava last week out in Vegas. They had a great idea that we should order Kava for our board meeting today. So we had a great catering order. Um, I ate an obscene amount of like crazy feta and hummus and olives. Love Kava. Um, while we were doing some research, they actually had a five-star Google review uh, that I wanted to share. We ate here yesterday and fell in love with this place. Bree is an outstanding worker. She made us feel so welcomed. Bree was so attentive, outgoing, and made it her mission to turn us into returning customers. Smiley face. We haven't had great service like Bree gave us in such a long time. It was a very refreshing experience. We will be back and we will be telling our friends and family to check this spot out. This is an excellent review. Talks about employees, talks about service. Um, there's no response. So it's a missed opportunity for Kava to highlight the experience, mention this to their employee, uh, and have an opportunity to talk about different menu items, maybe come back and try. Uh, we'd love to hear what the Rift team thinks they should do with this review, um, and let us know. Also, go try Kava. It's delicious. Sean, we were wrong. A human called out Bryant Park. That's the reason you and I both had that kind of flew up a little bit of a flag that said, I don't know why a human would call out a specific location that feels like a very strategic bot move to be able to rank better on local SEO. Kyle went either smart or safe by saying both were a bot. Thinking Avi was trying to trying to play us. Uh, so you got your are 50% right, Kyle? I guess. Yeah, I'll take it. Half no, credit or twice as wrong. <laughs> twice as wrong. Twice, twice as wrong. wrong. That's yeah. Sean, what do you? Uh, let's start with the bot. What do you think about the bot side, and then let's talk about Kava and this five star review. Uh, the bot side, I'm I'm very interested in the bot side. I'm very interested in the the bot contextualizing reviews, understanding that. I mean, it, it's the more information that we can provide on our reviews as restaurant owners, as restaurant leaders, the more that we can use tools like AI to enhance what we do, what we call digital hospitality. How do we quickly respond? How do we make people feel feel heard, seen heard, but also run our businesses because there are so many different platforms. That's why Marquee is one of the top things that I talk about whenever I'm on stage talking to restaurant owners because 82 different places, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. like even for some crazy- how many platforms that they push- So many platforms, they're menu managing for us like Obvious. even for someone that's as crazy as i am that wants to feel and taste and touch everything like it's too much you got to have somebody like marquee to help you go in and they're professional they'll help you with all of those things that you need um i'm a huge fan of kava a uh, huge fan they're phenomenal we have right. them here in san diego uh they do great work and for me i'm i'm just i'm i'm interested in the fact that all of these digital playgrounds, all of these technology companies, it's finding out how do we all help each other? How do we go, you know, what's Kava using? What, oh, you know, Cali Barbecue, we use Marquee, we use Ovation, we use Seven Chefs, we use the partners that are on our show because it helps our restaurant, but more importantly, we talk about it because it's gonna help other restaurants save time and get back to do what they love to do. Mm, Kyle, you know Kava? I love Kava. Yeah, I mean, they. All right, we got huge. three loves for Kava on yeah. the show today. How are, their, how are their fries? Do they have fries? Kyle's <laughs> <laughs> a fry critic over here. Now, they now. do deep fry those pita chips. Those pita chips are lit, man. Those yeah. are on a level for sure. I love how they're crispy on the outside, heavily seasoned, but then they still got a little bit of chew to them in the middle. We'll just get a bunch of those. That, and I've only used those, a significant portion of feta and olives. Everything else, throw it, throw it in there, sure. But that's all really I'm coming for that. Yeah, but they for crank, me, man. They crank in the city. I mean, the line is huge, busy. and they're just people just cranking people in and out. You know, it's yeah. that, I hate that analogy, but it's like that Chipotle style service, but it's what works, man. Fucking works. It is. You, you point and choose. I want that rice, the saffron rice. I want that meat. I want that sauce. Yeah. I want that cucumber tomato topping, which I think works really well, especially if somebody doesn't quite understand the medium. If you go, crazy feta they go what the hell is that i don't know if i want that but if you look at it and you go oh yeah that looks like something i'm gonna love crazy feta. yeah i think they they there's one a block from our place i'd say about once a month betsy picks up kava and their pita chips and their baba ganoush fire for me mostly mediterranean is all about all about the dips the condiments the sauces and i'd say a lot of the other stuff the the harissa the muhammara even the hummus are kind of mid 
They'll give me those pita chips, and that pita chips and the baba ganoush all day long. I went last week for the first time, took the kids down there to go pick up Kava. Betsy was running late from a meeting. It was the first time I had actually been in the store. They've been there for like four years. Clean. Yeah, Ooh. they're always very clean. We're going to talk about this later in the show, but I didn't have that moment where I want to go, check, please, get me out of here. Clean. Everything was clean. And even after they went, th- took us, took the people in front of us through the line, I could see they were finishing our food, but took people in front of us through the line. I was watching, right? And clean. Order of operations is good. They wipe down after an order, right? You go to Chipotle sometimes, it's just wrecked. Oh, yeah. Like their line is wrecked and every sauce is on top of every sauce and stuff. So I was really impressed with how clean Kava was. They're all, they all seem to be that way. That's one thing. Like their Chipotle, I've noticed, I don't know why. They, they want to, sh- some of them that I've been in recently have like, you can see into the back of the house kitchen, like it's a Michelin star restaurant. And so you can see the grill. Disaster. That's what they want you to see. Yeah. This guy had like the meat out. It was terrible. But yeah, Kava, they all seem to be very clean. They just crank it out and get it done. Yeah. I love it. It's good to see. All right. So, wow, we got, Four, you got four stars, Kava, for for a, for a fast casual place today. Keep those pita chips and that baba. <laughs> me, I'll I'll keep uh, I'll keep being at least uh, somewhat brand loyal there. They do a good job on that front. So, all right, let's get into let's get into some tech stack. A lot going on here. This show today, we're going to be talking about AI, talking about Chat GBT, talking about the robots a lot. So this is going to be no exception here. Carl's Jr. and Hardee's to roll out AI drive-through ordering nationwide. It's by Amelia Lucas on CNBC. So Carl's Jr. and Hardee's have about 2,800 restaurants across 44 states. CKE Restaurant, the parent of Carl's Jr. and Hardee's, has partnered with Presto, Open City, and Valiant AI. Presto Voices already used at Del Taco and Checkers and Rallies restaurants. Well, Open City's Tory has been used by a Popeye's franchisee. Valiant AI has a deal with CKE to use its voice ordering tech at 32 locations with the ability to expand to another 21 restaurants in the coming months. All right. AI ordering at the drive through. Have you guys experienced this? I'd love to. I haven't done for you yet. I don't think so. I can't think of. You got his own robots to deal with in the house. Yeah, yeah. I've got my own robots. Sven, <laughs> what are you talking about? Surrounded uh, by these things. So I've I've been to a to an AI drive through. Oh this yeah. This has been a couple of years now. This was good times. So uh, they're I don't think they're past like Colorado, Wyoming, maybe a couple other states surrounding the uh, Rocky Mountains here. But they rolled out a beta test of this, and I saw uh, I saw. Uh, I saw a clip on YouTube of a news feed about it, right? Channel four news or whatever was there. And they show some people going through it from the customer side. And then they also showed somebody interacting with it from the employee side. And the first thing that kind of struck me was how it thanked the person at the end of taking their order. And the person at the drive-thru just obligatorily said, thank you back to a robot. So we're yeah. still trying to interact with a person when we hear this woman's voice, this female sounding voice coming through that speaker. And then on the other side, when the employees were talking about the AI, the robot, they called it her. <laughs> and so we've talked about this a lot. I think it's going to be important for that AI experience, like everything else, if it's re- responding to a review, if it's engaging on text, that people still feel like there's the potential that there's some influence from a human within that experience, within that exchange is going to be pretty important because we still are thanking a robot, calling that robot her because the voice that we're hearing is sounding to us like a female voice. So that was a a big takeaway for me. And I'm interested to see how Presto Open City and Valiant AI are working in that space. Neither of those three were the company that was the beta test that I went and tried, and I can't remember what it is now. Couldn't track it down, but that's where I'm at. What are you guys thinking about AI drive-through? Speed convenience, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also going to be if it can eliminate, like, drive-through. Do you use Siri? Me? No. Yeah. Do you use Google Voice? No. Do you use Alexa? No. 
I use what you, Alexa, what do you use Alexa for one for three music basically. And, and to Googling. be a DJ, to be a DJ and DJ and a, and a Google type in my Google uh, requests. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like for all three of us guys that spend as much time as we do on digital with technology, like even I'm not using Siri, you know, as a voice yeah, assistant, right? Because I've tried to use it and I'm not comfortable with it. It hasn't, it hasn't fulfilled the need. So you know, figuring out the bugs of how do we get, I mean, I was looking at my smart TV this morning, trying to turn on my smart TV and I have all of these apps to get to YouTube TV. Like it takes me a while to get through the user interface of having a smart television that every, you know, can I use Netflix? Can I use Amazon prime? Can I use Disney? Can I use YouTube TV? Well, yes, I have a smart TV, but like for me to get to actually using the smart TV is kind of a challenge right now. The mm. technology will change and I'm just not sure where we're at with voice. Um, if we can actually, you know, get the correct order would be my, yeah, my concern as a, as a restaurant owner of like, you know, don't fuck up the order while, <laughs> while I've got 30 cars in the, in the lot, like, is, is it really worth it? Yeah. Now the risk reward, it probably is pretty high on the risk side. Yeah which is I wonder why they're also they have three different companies that are servicing this need because they're probably testing all three of them to see if and which of these are how they roll these out at more of a scale would uh, would make sense oh, as well. What is it? Uh, but it's going to be I feel like it'll be like, actually, no, maybe I did. I forget where we were, but you would read into the you would just say, hey, I'll have the whatever uh, burger with cheese, no onions. No, and the thing I'll was have like, the animal style I, French fries because they're my favorite. Yeah. It was adjusting all. It was adjusting as you said it, so then you get a chance to verify it. That's what you need. For me, yeah, you have to be able to read it. So that was one thing they showed. They showed the orders on the screen, and there was a little bit more onus. Like the the type was bigger, the screen was a little bit bigger because all the fast food they they put up your order, but who the hell ever looks at that? Like you never look at that and realize, oh wait, they forgot something or they didn't modify this one thing on the tiny little screens that are all pixelated and stuff that they have now. There was definitely more of an onus that that screen was for verifying the order. So it means people are going to have to read and we know how that goes. So that's, <laughs> a, that's a big thing. But yeah. You know, yelling into that thing. It's also very strange. Like I didn't know how loud to talk <laughs> into yeah. it. So, you, you know, there's a little awkwardness. It also feels like when you're on, you know, waiting for the, the cable company to uh, get you information and you're like, Yes. Yes. No. Yeah. 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 No. Talk to yeah. a service rep. Yeah. Agent. People, agent. Agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agent. Agent. Zero. 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 Oh, zero I'm pushing zero, the zero. zero. Just agent, please, please make me stop yelling like an idiot into my phone. It felt. It feels still like potentially a little bit like that. So they got some work to do, but uh, we'll see where they're at. We uh, we'll check out some. Some hardies yeah, are it's also like the worst it's ever going to be right now. Right? It's only going to continue to get better. So we were talking about this last night with a couple yeah. of buddies of mine. Like, this is the same thing that people like. I always think about that video of the guy, and he talked about like how tractors were not going to take over his horses. Of course, <laughs> you know, like this will never change. So, I right. If I had listened that. to my customers, I would have built a faster horse. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. 100%. Exactly. And also, I think it's part of our job, the three of us here, to also be realistic about the accountability and expectation today and what's happening next. Right. And I think right now you have to prove it. You're in prove it phase. I don't yeah. trust that the AI drive through experience is going to be as good relative to somebody being on the other side of that today. Could that change a month from now when I go to three Cardi's or Carl's juniors and have great experiences? Yep. Definitely can't. Good. So, all right, we're going to stay with Hardy's though, but we're going to get we're going to get more into uh into Kyle's wheelhouse here. We're going to do a little get real segment cuz this oh, came up another Hardy's story right on top of this being on the front foot of AI drive through now, a huge Hardy's franchisee declares bankruptcy and closes 39 restaurants. It's by Jonathan Mays in Restaurant Business online this article actually referenced and we talked about a few weeks back of all the burger king closures of a franchisee as well so this is where we're at right now oh we blew up kyle's computer here sean Uh oh 
He gone. All right, let me give you a, a couple tidbits from this uh, article by Jonathan Mays. Summit Restaurant Holdings once operated 145 Hardee's restaurants and said Hardee's struggled last year. U.S. system sales declined 4.2% in 2022 to just under $2 billion, according to data from restaurant business sister company Technomic. Average unit volumes declined 3% to below $1.2 million. So per unit, $1.2 million. For some context, I mean the you know the biggest right now is Chick Fil A is averaging eight million, right? A location I think uh, a McDonald's average five million, Subway is lower. I think Subway is average like six to eight hundred thousand per location. So that's a those are big big numbers for them. Hardy's closing or in California Carl's Jr. First, are you sad about it? No, like Carl's Jr. I love Carl's Jr. Yeah, okay. I got no problem with Carl's Jr. They, uh, they the Carl hit Jr. Hard Hardy's the- thing is weird. It's yeah. like, is it the same brand? It's the same brand, right? It's the same brand. I think they might have some LTO stuff that's different in different places. More Hardy's in the Midwest and the South. Carl's Jr. is basically the West Coast. Here in Denver, we have some of both. I don't, know why, I, don't, I don't know why the decision was made. Well, we have rallies out in California, right? But they're checkers yeah. almost everywhere else in the country. Is that the same brand, too? Same brand, too, right? With the super seasoned curly fries. Really? Yeah, same like brand. Same rallies offerings, just different. Pretty That's much so same weird. kind of thing. A little bit LTOs are different. How I think many in the South, there? they have cheer wine. Sean, do you know about cheer wine? I do know about cheer wine. Whole they were they were a sponsor of the national rest uh, national barbecue association show when we brought our podcast team there in like 2017 wow cheer wine cheer wine all right for anybody who doesn't know cheer wine and respect to anybody who it is an iconic drink of the south for sure whenever i travel and do you know chef events guest chef things like that i would always be like take me to the places that you all grew up or the places that are iconic to you and then we'll go to the chef inspired shit later and it means I'll go to a lot of like fast food or diners or dives, things like that. Sure. And so when I was in Atlanta, we hit a, <laughs> we had the Waffle House, we had all these different kind of fast food joints and we hit a checkers and I got the like 64 ounce cheer wine. I took three sips. 64 ounce. Dude, that's what they're like. This is the order. They ordered it for me. I couldn't believe it. It's basically it. What is it? Like it's carbonated grenadine is basically yeah. what it is. I felt like i got diabetes from three sips yeah it's unbelievable no kidding no kidding so hardy's man maybe that's part of it maybe the hardy's brand especially needs to uh, pay attention to some uh some more innovative uh, menu placement items but uh yeah man they're struggling but this comes off what was it 30 40 locations of uh burger king closing some of these uh franchisees are really really struggling kyle mentioned it uh didn't he get kicked out last time we did get real like i think, I think his so. computer it's too much pressure when it's yeah. his segment his segment <laughs> mr real mr real estate my ass <laughs> mr real estate get real Bullshit. come on man we 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 need you for this uh the, the footprints hour. are coming up a lot obviously just lower traffic i think different expectations of be it healthier food or more dynamic offerings, things like that are coming up a lot, especially when you're talking about uh, younger millennial and Gen Z. Also the footprints, like their locations are too big. They're too big. They need to cut those things down significantly. They need to cut them in half. The drive-through, I mean, you have two lanes of drive-through, the parking you need around that, like they're taking a lot of prime corner real estate. And the competition for that is, is pretty fierce. So Kyle, you're missing out on this one, man. We'll uh, we'll get into this. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This next one is one that he shared with us too. God, oh, you're missing you're missing the whole show. If anybody's watching live and want to be a guest host, just just message us. We'll we'll bring you into the feed. <laughs> All right. Next, we're going to uh, get into uh, Sleep at Night, presented by Davo, one of our great partners here, David Joseph. Got to record some good stuff with him when he was out in Greece. Davo, for those who don't know, Davo automates sales tax payments and filings so restaurateurs can spend time on what actually makes the money. As Sean just talked about a moment ago, when you focus on the things that heighten guest experience, make us money. Let's hear 
from David Joseph. In terms of utilities, you got a budget for it. A lot of people forget about it. They do fluctuate. You certainly should have a, a fund. You should have a pretty good idea of what your utility bills are going to be every month. Make sure you get them paid because when you skip one, it comes around the next month. They don't give you a discount for volume. It just keeps adding up. You got to stay on top of it. Theoretically, if your bills are higher, you should be busier. David, utilities. He had some funny stories talking about his own utilities experiences, uh, being in New York because <laughs> he had a place where he was basically paying for the water bill of every apartment above him once he realized what was going on with his bill. So, Kyle, you bailed on us during the real estate. We didn't I'm know what gonna, to do. I'm going to tell you. I, I said these <laughs> words like their footprints is too big and stuff. I don't know what I'm talking who, about. Who, who, who's this? Do it again. Say it again. Come on. Uh, again. Let's talk about Hardee's. They had the same problems. They quoted the exact same problems as Burger King when we talked before, oh, right? Yeah. Some of the menu offerings being a little stagnant, a little dated, not speaking to millennial Gen Z, inflation, supply chain, but then also the footprint itself, uh, potentially being in too big of a space, drive-through being a huge challenge. So you can see them on one side saying, we need to make drive-through way more dynamic, innovative, mm. cost-effective for us because it's a part of our brand and it also is costing us a lot because of the footprint that it creates for us on top of the brick and mortar as well. So that's where we ended up. But now we're talking utilities and David had some issues. I think you've talked about this before where you need to make sure that it's properly on your lease, that you know what parts of cam charges, what parts of utilities are you independently metered if you're in a multi-unit, uh, multi-purpose type space. So break it down for us a little bit. Utilities, Kyle, what are people not paying attention to on the lease side and then on the operations side? Definitely 100%. You need to add into your lease that you will have individual meters that you have access to. Uh, nobody else has access to. Um, it will come landlords. Like, you want me to individually, you know, meter this whole place is going to cost me X amount of dollars. Well, you know, that's a decision you have to make, but it's always a negotiation point, but that is a must for all of our clients is that you have to have your own meter in there because otherwise, yeah, you could be paying for, I just, we just did a deal over here that there was one hood for two restaurants. Both restaurants didn't even know that they they thought they all had their own hood. So the, one of them is paying for one and it, it's a, yeah, it could really, I think and it adds up, adds up like crazy. So yeah, individual meters is, is the way to go. And make sure you push for that. Even if it's not part of the current infrastructure, it is going to be well worth it to make sure that you take the time, the effort, even if it costs you a couple extra bucks to have that independent metered. Because in those low times, especially, that price doesn't seem to go down as much as you'd think. You say, hey, we're using air during the summer because it's 100 degrees. It doesn't go down as much as you'd hope in the wintertime. No. So no. That's, that's, a, that's a big thing, especially if you are seasonally based. I think I've seen that hurt those type of businesses the most. Shot any uh, any way that you're managing utilities? Any way that you've been able to kind of circumvent any issues you might have down there in Spring Valley? No. <laughs> oh. Utilities in California, SDG&E, our business partner for life over there. Oh, God. I'm waiting for my SDG&E deal. Swag. Turn, turn, it turns Don't wear out. an SDG&E hat, man. It works wonders yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 easy it's easy because that's the only deal in town. You you want utilities, you go to San Diego Gas and Electric. You're never getting a deal because all those SDG&E, PG&E, they're all still paid off lawsuits from 2004, <laughs> and they keep adding up. Yeah, it's uh, it is what it is. I Have wish you I dealt with rolling brownouts and stuff to, oh, to any significant degree? Uh, I mean, there's been outages for sure. Yeah. Know? We've had outages and we've dealt with. Do you, you know, pay less when there's outages? No, we always pay more. Sure don't. We always pay more. It's just kind of how the, the deal works. But yeah. Uh, and you yeah. got smokers too. Oh, those are gas smokers. You have gas assist on those, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Who? We need, probably need to see your your utilities bill. You must be. Kind of like Gary Vaynerchuk's <laughs> report <laughs> card. Just like stunning. Have people yeah, yeah. realize how much it's costing you out there in California, in San Diego? I'll probably have expensive markets. We show show those numbers with gas assist smokers. Man, that's a, that's a lot of firepower. God, I feel a little bit queasy just talking about it. I don't even have to pay that bill. 
And you gotta let those. Well, you know what used to suck with a pizzeria is you have to leave the gas on on the oven, otherwise it takes like takes like five hours for that stone to warm up. You can't. You have to leave oh, it like on. Yeah. So you have to always have the gas on. So yeah, brutal. Yeah, Ooh, you tell. pay attention to that pilot light. You make sure that thing's not leaky at all. Every oh yeah, <laughs> every little yeah. ounce of gas adds up for sure. All right, I feel like. David, we appreciate this segment because you challenge us always to talk about the uncomfortable parts, the unsexy things, the things they don't actually tell you about, about running a restaurant. But every time our, our mood at the end of this segment is like, oh, fuck, man, running a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> it's real hard. All right. I wanted to make sure and save this one for you when you came back. We skipped this little bit of the Get Real segment. We're going to go back to it. This is what we alluded to. We are talking reality TV. Restaurant Idea Factory has officially gone into speaking on reality tv so we go from reality t lisa vanderpump accused of lying about rent wow. increase on pump restaurant by landlord this is by carolina again in realtyt.com couple notes here restaurant power couple lisa vanderpump and ken todd are closing one of their famed establishment pump restaurant was featured on lisa's reality show vanderpump rules the pump family released an official statement regarding an exponential increase in rent was supposedly the cause of the closure. Landlord claims there was no rent increase in a statement to deadline drama. Even yeah. in a closure of a restaurant, we have the reality show causing drama. Kyle, what do you know about it? All right. So unfortunately, I know too much about it. But what I would, my first reaction was, okay, that's a fair reason to close a restaurant, right? You were paying X and some landlords, at least around here, particularly when they find out you're making more money or you're famous or whatever, your rent goes Yeah, I get it. And it, it almost doesn't matter that they're worth, because I looked it up, <laughs> that she and her husband or whatever, their partner, or they're worth like almost $100 million because I get the business stands on its own. It's got to do its own thing. But she lied. The landlord, when this came out, he was in respect to the landlord. He was like, oh, real quick, that's I did not raise the rent one dime. They owe me money. So we're seeing that a lot right now is these restaurants that made deals with the landlords and the landlords conceded on some sort of payment plan for the rent. And then if you don't come, come up with that money or you didn't stick to the payment terms, they're going to pull your lease, right? So that seems to be what happened here. And but he's got every right to do it. I mean, in New York, the second that the vaccine was available, rents went back up. They're like, okay, we're over this. They got a business to run too. And I don't often take that side, but they got a business to run. And if you're not going to pay the rent, then find somebody else who does. We've talked a lot about the relationship with the landlord being so critical. And I think we've been over critical of the landlords being the bad actor in that relationship mm -hmm. quite often, because I think that's been some of our experience. We're seeing the flip side of that, though, pretty pretty regularly now, where some of those operations are kind of the bad actor in that relationship a little bit. And landlords, I've seen a lot of them doing a lot to try and support what is a struggling industry or a struggling individual or a struggling business right now. So we really got to know that it's a, it's a give and take for sure, that there has to be some kind of balance. Just because you were given some concessions or some leeway, and now business is better, in fact, that probably should be reciprocated to, to some degree. So Sean, what, what yeah. do you got thoughts on this for? I mean, it's, it's just funny to see somebody on reality TV get called out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, the, the truth vibrates the fastest. And once the truth comes out, um, it depends on how big the platform is to share that truth. But uh, yeah, I mean, you got to pay your bills. That that's and it's the what sucks about this is it's the it, this is why it's so hard to get restaurant deals done. So anybody who's just starting out in the restaurant business, or even if you're looking for your hundredth location, the reason why the landlord is hesitant because of shit like this. You know, there's no reason for her to come out and disparage the landlord for the. You know, I don't know. I hate that. Like you just say, hey, you know what? We couldn't. Yeah. Why don't you just say we're closing? Yeah. <laughs> like, She's got money and everything's good. Exponential increase in rent. Like you're putting a pretty major spotlight on that being the catalyst for why this is happening. You're asking yeah. for somebody to rebuke that. Like, what do you think is going to happen now? Is this 
an attention move? Somebody who's been clearly good at leveraging attention. Does this get you into the limelight again? Even, you know, no press is bad press type thing. I wonder if, I wonder if some publicists told them to uh, specifically, specifically do that. I don't know. It's just more, it's just more shit that makes our industry look bad. Our advice. Yeah. We just, we just don't need any more of that. Like horrible PR advice. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we're talking about it. I don't know what that means to them, but you know, Lisa Vanderpump is probably watching this or listening to this right now going, I fucked up because Kyle's put me on blast. <laughs> yeah, man. Fuck, dude. That, that's, right. I mean, you, you have these, I mean, the good thing for the landlord is you have my guess is some sort of guarantee from them on the lease. So he's going to get his money, but I just, there's no need to go through that. We just closed. It wasn't working out period. But you know what it is? It's the number one reason my restaurants close ego. They're just not able to say like, Hey, you know what? We're not, this this didn't this didn't happen overnight. I'm guarantee there's some communication back and forth from the landlord. There were lawyers, and then just to come out is an ego thing. It's just a, who wants to leave looking prettier. Feels like anybody who watches the show probably saw implosions happening all over the place. It's the literally that's the, the whole show. show. Right? Isn't that that's like the whole the whole premise of the, the show? Closure should have just been the last episode of that season and yeah. be fucking done with it. Like exactly, it may not, it makes no sense to come out and make this make this statement. You know, again, unless it's a plug for episode 24 of season 14 of Vanderpump Rules, we get into dispute with our landlord. You know, you got to make up <laughs> fake drama, apparently. Yeah. All right. What do we got next? Robotic revelation. Guys, this is becoming uh, a weekly segment for us as there's a lot happening in this space. This came from Eater Atlanta. There's now a pizza vending machine in Buckhead slinging pies 24-7. This is by Beth McKibben. Let me give you a couple of the deets here. The Pizza Forno unit launched by franchisees Tyler Young, Paul Nair, and Mick Patel of Savvy Provisions in an Arco gas station where Nair also oversees food there under the brand U-Pop Urban Provisions offering petroleum. The trio plans to open two more locations in late May with the possibility of 50 additional locations across Metro Atlanta. Each vending machine contains 70 12-inch pizzas and a menu featuring eight types of pies, including pepperoni, barbecue chicken, Hawaiian, and vegetarian, ranging from $10 to $13 a piece. Uh, They have a three-day shelf life in the machine and cook in three minutes. That's what we got from them. All right. Three-day shelf life. Three-day shelf life inside the unit. We talked about this while back when we were talking about, I think it was Cake Boss again, the vending machine, and Sean was talking about, I'm ready when they have a a hot holding or some kind of cookery. Obviously, you're not cooking a a three-minute brisket, and now there is the heating side of the technology within kind of these vending machine robotics. So what's a, I don't know, what are you thinking here, Sean? Give you hope that you're one closer, one step closer to a barbecue vending machine. What do you think? Uh, I don't know if this specifically gets us one step closer to a barbecue vending machine. Uh, (laughs) The way that we view slow food fast is we're going to have to smoke it on site um, and then deliver it the same day. So figuring out what does that what does that look like and how do you keep it fresh? I mean, I think about the airport all the time. You know, it's the airport is trying to do a better job of bringing healthy food options that are quick grab and go style salads, sandwiches, you name it. But are they really good? <laughs> you know, is it, does it really taste good? And if it doesn't taste good, then, you know, what are the chances that you buy it, let alone come back and buy it again? So it's only, we're not in the transaction business. We're in a business that if you anchor down and it makes sense, then you get somebody excited to buy barbecue from a vending machine or salad from an airport, but you want to be able to do it and rely on it. You know, the reason why McDonald's is successful is it's not going to let you down. No matter where you are, no matter what the concept is, no matter what the footprint is, that Big Mac's going to be a Big Mac. So if McDonald's figures out how to put a Big Mac in a vending machine, I'm guessing that they're going to figure out that it's going to taste just like a Big Mac would in a big, big box. Oh, yeah. Mm, They're going to have assembly. Probably barbecue is an easier execution in some kind of vending machine model than potentially something that's hot and cold and room temperature within one composition. Pizza makes sense because, you know, you, you have a frozen pizza and they say never frozen. So these are coming in fresh, which I think is where the three day 
shelf life, but you have a Papa Murphy's pizza, let's say the take and bake style pizza, that thing is ready to go as soon as you're ready to cook it. So that makes sense as the first medium. Once again, pizza is always at the forefront of innovation, just naturally, inherently, somehow it continues to be at the forefront of that. Oh, you you've slaying a lot of pies, Kyle. Oh, uh, how you how you feeling deep down inside, the chef inspired Kyle? How you feel about <laughs> a robot out in the Arco gas station parking lot making pies in three minutes? Like, I mean, it'll be good enough, right? Like for most people, that's that's all it has to be. It's not going to win any awards. I think that's what's important to note here. But um I don't know. I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of room for innovation in this space. I'm not just sure that it's with pizzas. And pizza is like the most marketable, but I've seen like these where they're curating like locals will be like this company that's doing vending machines that are curating foods from different restaurants and putting in the vending machines. Um, but yeah, it's got to have some degree of of being able to stick around. The three day shelf life thing is not. I'm not buying it. I mean, it may be good like you know two a.m. after going to the bars, but like oh this is so cool. It's the best pizza ever, but. I don't see that having a lasting impact. I mean, maybe colleges and things like that, but there's plenty of other options that you don't need to have a robot make it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Buddy Four on Facebook uh, commented, I've already been thinking about barbecue vending machine. We have people ordered day before because we are closed on Sunday. So thought about vacuum sealing portions of brisket and pork or homemade sides. All right, buddy, you need to get at Sean. The two of you need to start to start a little think tank. <laughs> and time brand yeah got to start talking about how to get barbecue vending machines who's going to be at the at the forefront of barbecue vending machines for sure all right get that buddy what is it more more barbecue to more people more barbecue to more people that's yeah. it there you go well vending machine will definitely if they're getting 50 around the atlanta area that's a that's a quick spread that the, you can get a lot of barbecue out to a lot of people quickly. But I ah, just, the quality and the integrity of that product and the accountability of the three day shelf life, I think is also a big thing. Uh, I'm interested to learn who's servicing that. So do they have to have some kind of pizza production facility? The person that is franchising the savvy provisions group, do they need to be able to produce those pizzas and then fill them? Is Pizza Forno a Canadian-based company? Are they fulfilling that? Do they have brand partners in a new market that then are the actual pizza producers that are servicing the machines? So a lot of questions there still to come for sure. All right, what's next for us? Guest experience presented by Ovation. Mm. Ovation is a two-question survey platform for real-time feedback, better online reviews, and happier guests. We're going to hear from our guy. Zach Oates. He seems to always be on brand with us. He's got the pizza shirt today. Let's check it there out. 230. That is the number of people I have asked on my podcast, what is the most important aspect of guest experience nowadays? But there's one person that I haven't asked, and so I did. You want to know who that is? Mr. Robot. So I asked ChatGPT, what is the most important aspect of guest experience? And this is what he, she, it, they said. It is important for a restaurant to provide excellent service, high quality food, and a comfortable and inviting atmosphere to ensure that guests have a positive experience and are likely to return. Additionally, paying attention to small details such as cleanliness and providing a warm welcome can also have a big impact on guest experience. I don't know. I think Mr. Robot's pretty smart, but what do you think? What is the most important aspect of guest experience to Ovation? It's all about connection. What do you think? Sean <laughs> hmm. made the point to, in our in our thread to be like, who just photo bombed? Who photo bombed yeah. Zach? He's like, oh, am I am I on now? Are you recording? That was fantastic. <laughs> that was it's perfect. Usually those are those are kids or pets. That's most common what we get the uh, the show the segment interruptions from. But this time, I don't know. They look like a coworker. I couldn't tell. Was that an ovation shirt? Pretty sure that was ovation. Had to ovation. be right. Had to be. All right, Chat GPT. Uh, I had an interesting take on this last week Corey, who runs all the content the backside of what we do was uh out of time got to go on vacation where'd he go puerto rico costa rica somewhere awesome that i was super jealous of ricas so one of the ricas so i had to do a couple extra things this week to get us prepared last week to get all of our uh, all of our clips ready and one of them was getting into chat gpt and pumping in the uh, segment information and it kind of helps us frame up 
the copy that comes with each of the six extension clips. There's a little inside baseball for you. And I went in and I went down some rabbit holes, like the ones that Kyle's gone down over the last months and months and kept trying to tweak and refine the prompt to be able to have it write something that most expresses the way that we talk about what we talk about on the show. And you can get there, but it took me probably about seven or eight different micro prompts that were micro tweaks of a word here or an expectation there to kind of get it there. So it takes a lot of work to get ChatGBT to pump something out that isn't vague. What, what it just said to Zach was really overarching. Like that was just kind of vague and general and true as well. I think what we've talked about with the, with the robots, with the technology, with the AI, with ChatGPT, you have to find a way to get it on brand, on voice, and have it still feel like there's some humanity in it. So that's kind of my takeaway with, with uh, that from Ovation. Well, what I'm saying about like ChatGPT and just messing with it is that it needs to learn some things. Like if you just feed it general stuff, like you can literally say to it, like, this isn't good enough. Can you give me another? Yeah. This is not, let me tell you a little bit more about what I'm looking for. Yep. And we had six clips and each of them I tweaked and then went back and tweaked and didn't necessarily need to. I think they were fine that I wanted to try and understand it and use some things that, you know, are real time for us. And by the sixth clip on the eighth different iteration, it was like pretty sharp. Mm. There was like almost no edits that I needed to make. I think the only thing that I changed was Jason Berkowitz. We mentioned Jason Berkowitz a couple of times. Sean did in last week's. And it said Jason Berkowitz, and I just added in arrow up training because it didn't include that. Like, that's pretty good to just get to the point of adding a single name drop in there to make sure that it's got, you know, that representation. So I think, Sean, guest experience as expressed by ChatGBT. Where are you at? AI is interesting, and ChatGPT is interesting, and content in 2023 is interesting. I think the more that I lean into quantity, speed, consistency, uh, the more I realize what I care the most about is curation of content. Is how do you give me what I need when I need it? And if you can get me what I need when I need it, and you can get it to me quickly, um, then I appreciate it and I want more of it. You know, I subscribe to so many different emails that I hate. Um, <laughs> that you forward with no context? <laughs> I do yeah. that all the time. The, the, <laughs> he sends the them to us to haze us to be like, here, you look through this bullshit. And tell me <laughs> anything. The ones that I, that I find valuable, I forward because they get to the point. Right. Um, and I think that yeah. something that we can all learn from in reviews, in guest experience, it's how quickly we answer the question. Instead of walking me around the question, like, can you solve my problem? Can you answer what I need? Can you solve my pain point? Yeah, you talked about the setup on your smart TV earlier. Sean, I think you turned on our show. I got an echo from you. It's not me. Echo, echo. It's Kyle. (laughs) It's a chef-inspired laptop. It used to be my internet that that used to be the... uh, Yeah, my booty. Optimum optimum is awful. Connecticut Kyle. I have no more internet issues. Thanks. I need some of that. Thanks, Xfinity. Uh, yeah, I think there's a, a lot to be said about the interactions it's going to take. You're going to have to put in some work if you want ChatGBT to be a part of your brand expression, your brand voice. It can get there. But to Kyle's point, it has to learn pretty significantly because otherwise it's just going to pump out the most vanilla, vague thing. And that's not what you want going out to create a great guest experience there. So there's a little bit there. All right. Coming towards, uh, towards the end here, we're going to talk a little eater etiquette. Uh, there's always some ways that we can learn how to be better guests. We can also learn how to better serve our guests. I think is important. And this one came from ranker things that will make us say, check, please. This is by Will Morgan. This is basically tap, 12 red flags according to the ranker community on reddit for why they would want to leave a restaurant as quickly as possible so i'm going to ramble through these 12 real quick and then we're going to discuss some of them or any that are red flags for us so that restaurants can recognize that you may have a problem if you're not addressing these if you're not on the good guest experience side of this so uh can't stay if it's stinky 
We're going to talk about that a lot, especially Kyle and I had some strong feelings there. Mm-hmm. Being ignored, hidden prices, something smells fishy at the seafood place, rude owners, sticky stuff, dirty menus. If it's too loud, if it's too close for comfort, bad chips and salsas, no bueno. I don't know about that. Too many TVs and huge menus. Those were the 12 from the Ranker Reddit community. Stinky ones right off the bat. Those to me, fire oil, right? Kyle, oh, fire oil, two blocks away. Fire oil and Fabuloso, fire. man. Fire oil and Fabuloso, kill it. Make me sick. That combo is deadly. I am out of there so quickly. <laughs> Dirty menus. We've talked about this in different ways. QR menus, are they the answer? Are QR codes not the answer? Are they a part of it? How that happens? But dirty menus are just fucking gross. And too many restaurants have dirty, sticky laminated menus, or you see coffee or wine or drinks spilled on menus. Like, that's not a good guest experience. Like, if you have a paper menu, you need to invest in changing those often because you don't like a QR code menu. I'd much rather have the QR code menu than a dirty or stinky oh, yeah. and sticky menu. Like, come on. That is terrible. The dirty menu, dirty menus, and they, you said big menus too. Is another one, right? Yeah, huge menus was the last one. <laughs> Dude, that is, those are the worst. The the worst. I posted a picture out of for where I did. There is a place by us. I'm not even exaggerating. The menu is this big, front and back, like twelve point font. I'm like, dude, this is just order whatever you want. Just How, make it up yourself. It's I just there. you sit there and stare at that. The the anxiety of decision fatigue before you've made a single decision sets in yeah right? and, and who wants that that's when you end up with everything for everyone that's when you end up with all the items that sean or that kyle wants you to retire off of your menu that mm-hmm. just need to go away because you keep just adding to it and adding to it because you don't know what else to do if it's too loud we've talked about that with the house of spaghetti place banning children being too mm-hmm. loud was a one there so i guess it is an issue for a lot of people Bad chips and salsa is no bueno. Yeah, bad food across the board. Why are chips and salsa getting picked on? I've heard a lot of people go, why don't we have free chips and salsa anymore? Because it's a fucking business. Like, why don't we have bread service anymore? Because that is dated. And people have a a higher expectation of bread now to not be cardboard. So they're not going to do that stuff for free anymore. Yeah, there's some of these. Too many TVs. Sean, I was interested in you as you're going to vertical TVs, right, with atmosphere TV. I'm interested if that changes the footprint of the actual TVs. Maybe they're the same size, but, you know, you maybe don't need as much horizontal space changing the dynamic of that viewing experience. What do you think about too many TVs as a red flag, as a check, please get me out of here for people going into restaurants? I mean, that's just a personal preference. The same too many TVs. For me, it's not enough TVs. I don't want to go to a (laughs) don't. People come to you for that. It doesn't have music. You know, if you don't have music, you don't have TVs, you don't have ambiance, you don't have energy. Yeah. So for the same person, you know, the person that's turned off by too loud of music or too many TVs, then it's just, it's a personal preference. You know, if you want to go and eat in a library or a museum, <laughs> right ahead. it's not, not what I'm looking to do. Uh, yeah, you know what the worst is? If I'm going out, I want to, I want to go to a place that I feel comfortable and I, I feel comfortable when there's TVs and content on the walls and then there's a vibe and there's music. So how about places that put the game on but play music? Yeah. Like the right, like I can understand if it's not the local game, but like I'm sure if the Chargers are on, you're not playing the radio. Or do you? Listen, this is interesting because we were we question. sports focused to begin with. And now that since we've opened up past the pandemic, we haven't been playing NFL Sunday audio. Um, and we've actually been turning more tables and serving more barbecue because of it. But yeah, well, you don't where we don't play audio, so we don't play um, the game. We play music. It's an um, invite to stay longer. It's an invite to stay longer, and people, you know, before on NFL Sunday would stay from kickoff on the West Coast, 10 a.m. until the end of Sunday Night Football, 9 p.m. Yeah. Not turn over a table, and now um, is it less inviting for that fan? Yeah, it is. But we can also serve more barbecue to more people um, because That's people are going home and watching it. And we're 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 in the we're in the business of staying in business, not um, well, people eating more barbecue, not watching more games. If they eat more yeah, barbecue better, and watch yeah. more games. Great, that's amazing. It's similar like brunch. You hear that a lot, right? The bottomless mimosas or bloody marys, and then you get these lingering guests that are a great table for the first ninety minutes, and then the second ninety minutes, you know, nothing. 
right? And you can't turn that table and then brunch is over. So that's that's a big thing for a brunch too. I think this too close for comfort was interesting yeah. to me. I think we have changed our relationship spatially around other people. I think when we had six foot table separation, that was cavernous and uncomfortable. And now I think we've probably pushed the tables back together and even closer to try to jam two more tables in because we're trying to make up for lost revenue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Restaurants, and there needs to be a medium even our old spacing was probably not enough space and that's probably why it's too loud why we now feel like pe- people are too close to us because we saw the difference in a, in a six foot f- feet footprint so i think that's a that's a big piece is all and then this root owners one that was interesting to me because we talked about the relationship with landlords and tenants and where the dynamic and the balance in that relationship is i think we've been seeing this where sometimes yeah there's some really rude owners and it's a bad guest experience but i've also seen a lot of owners standing up for their staff a little bit more and being perceived as rude so i'm reading between the lines a little bit more when i see somebody called a rude owner on on yelp or open table or google review i'm interested in that and then all of a sudden i see wait a minute they're probably standing up for their people more than rude guests appreciate so that's a that's another just relationship dynamic that I think is I think is at play. That's another thing. I think they're gonna have AI like have to answer that stuff. That's another thing. You know, like the speed in that stuff and AI responding to these complaints and like understanding when to elevate that. Like, oh, they said it's really bad. They're never coming back, et cetera. The AI will be able to like interpret that and say, okay, this needs to be handed off to a human immediately. Like that type of stuff is gonna be. I think that's gonna be cool to watch. Oh. Can I speak to your manager has a completely different dynamic now? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first manager is AI and the second manager then digital Karen's. See if you can get through 60% of that tumultuous relationship without it having to be somebody getting a human getting screamed at. Oh my god. By a rude a rude guest. Yeah, I'm interested from uh, from audience. Anybody watching this, listening to this, what are some of those red flags for you? One of my big ones is restrooms. If there's a new oh. place, I'll go in the restroom before I'll even go and grab a table there. And if the restrooms aren't well-maintained and cared about, I can tell you that there's that same <laughs> level of care and attention to detail in lots of other places. What are some of those for you that you have that are red flags for you that you would uh, stay away from a place, not suggest a place, actively tell people not to go to a place because of certain check, please, mm-hmm. red flags? Dirty, right, warnings. Dirty warnings. Dress code. Dress, Dress code? code? Yeah, fuck off. Is that the uh, can't wear hats type scenario, or yeah, you don't want you don't let me wear a hat and a hoodie? Fuck you! You want me yeah. to wear? Like, I figure a- it's not the place that requires a jacket that you're worried about. It's the place that requires no that won't let you wear a hat. Yeah, uh, that's the worst. Those places that like in New Orleans, I was in one. They're like, oh, you have to wear a jacket, but we have one for you. I'm like, yeah, oh. you want me to wear a dirty fucking jacket the, in here? They think that's better. Yeah, awful. Nasty. That's so old school. All right, everyone, that is it for this episode. Once again, this was Riff 20. Great show. We packed a lot into this one. Uh, It's going to make it uh, a good week for extension clips, a lot of actionable stuff. We want to hear from you as always. If you're taking this in on on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, please interact with us, buddy. Thanks for the uh, the comments. I'm excited to see where you and, and Sean take barbecue vending machines that's what it's all about we're here to to try and give context tell stories banter talk shit a little bit about our own experiences and the hopes that we have for this industry that we all love and hate so much we'll try and do better next week appreciate you all thanks fellas good show peace subscribe to full episodes fridays at 4 p.m eastern on facebook youtube and linkedin 